just the theft of black art for um, acceptable, palatable white consumption and then how that's the root. That's literally the root of pop culture. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. With me is Anchenta McDaniel with Blue 13 Dance Company. It's a pleasure to have her on. If I can kind of summarize what she does, she is disrupting the common narratives about what people think it is to have to, to have American dance from a cultural kind of contemporary flair. She does it all, mixing hip hop, Bollywood, showing people what real art and what what what, what contemporary what dance can be and should be. It is not a narrow definition, but it's much broader than that because Americans aren't just white. Just so we know, some people may think that, but we're a lot of we're, we're a lot of cultures and. And you mix a lot of them within dance. So, Achenta, it's great to have you on. Thanks for having me. So excited to be here. So you're in L.A. right now, right? I'm in L.A. in a cavernous, uh, empty dance studio during COVID. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. So this has been... So typically during this time, you usually have events. That's what you... you in-person events were your thing. So that's certainly been disrupted. Yeah, especially with dance. I mean, in-person classes, live public performances, in theaters, even outdoor, all of it's been sort of, we've had to shift the way we do things. Um, so it's been a challenge, but it's an interesting time for us to kind of create work and create dance and share it in different ways now. So, Yeah. I always like to explore how people got down their path and if you saw this path for yourself. So I would like to ask, what did you want to be growing up and what do you want to be now? Right. <laughs> That's a good question. I always want to dance. I mean, I'm I'm the daughter of immigrants and you probably know this and we've talked about this at length. Um, it's a different kind of pressure, you know, to um, to sort of satisfy and, and be be both things. So growing up in I was born in New York, I grew up in Cleveland, um, predominantly white, super privileged uh, upbringing, um, but predominantly white. So mm. having that sort of um not being too americanized yeah yes <laughs> yeah that a lot of immigrant children here constantly and especially all of my indian friends we can all say the same thing um not becoming too americanized not dating getting straight a's but also um my family was a little bit different in one way that i could compare maybe to my my counterparts that i grew up with that were in the indian community um which is that they really wanted us to experience art and in all in its many facets. So whether it was classical Indian music that my grandfather was passionate about, and I grew up in a very traditional Indian household with, we lived with my grandparents growing up also. So I had like two sets of parents. Right. So my brother, sister, and I were thrown into every activity. Again, like, you know, immigrants coming to America trying to have a life um, that's better for their children. That's yeah. all. That's not I just mean, I would just say this very quickly while you get into that, because uh, without being inappropriate, I would say if I had to think about the stereotypical uh, framing and when someone thinks of immigrants, it's not just Indian, uh, uh, immigrants in general that come here, the Ethiopians, wherever, West African, doesn't matter. Folks come here, they usually tell them to stay focused, do math and engineering. And if you don't, you know, you're going to be disowned from the family. Obviously, that's not I'm exaggerating, but like that's kind of. That, you're not exaggerating that much. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so that wasn't the case. So they, there was that pressure, but they, 
interesting that they what what do you know what inspired them to to give you that freedom because that's I think it's good but it's often not something people think of they think of unfortunately when people think of arts uh, they don't understand that the creative nature behind art is also entrepreneurial can also wake up a lot of things in the mind when you think about art uh, you can think about how you design something from a technical point of view if you don't have that artistic point of view can really help inform the experience people. But people see art, I think, in a very narrow, myopic scope in terms of what it is. They think you're just going to go off and just paint something and be a starving artist on the street. How did your how, how did your how did your folks kind of have a broader view of that? And how, I mean, how were they informed that that this is something that can play a larger role and is very important? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, again, it w- was very rare just compared to other friends that I grew up with. Um, my father is a neurosurgeon, <laughs> but he's also an incredible artist, like a, a painting artist. He does oils and acrylics, and he would make these massive canvases, constantly filling them with beautiful images growing up. And then I also, my grandfather, who used to be an Air Force pilot in India in World War II, was passionate about music. So there was all these crazy kind of seemingly opposite binaries that existed, you know, that we normally are like, oh, a neurosurgeon, he's Indian, it makes sense, he's a doctor, but also is this incredible artist and also is like an incredible chef, right? Right. And grandfather, same thing, military, um, very strict, but then, uh, and very like patriarchal kind of traditional colonized Indian upbringing, right? But then loved, had a huge passion for all music. So we would hear constantly classical Indian music and not just classical, uh, and Tchaikovsky, like Western classical, all beautiful music piping out of his room at all hours. And then with his headphones on while my grandmother slept, this was just part of upbringing. So that was already kind of different than I think other, um, other friends um, that were growing up. And then there's the, what all good parents want to do is to have their children be afforded opportunities that they didn't have. So yeah. that's, with my parents. That's a normal thing. So they didn't grow up with dance classes, horseback riding and all that stuff. It was very focused. You do this, you go to college and that's it. You graduate and you're done. Um, for so us, your parents were first generation though. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So then, um, so then my mom was throwing us into every possible thing. So get straight A's, but then after school, you're going to go to enrichment classes. You're going to do ice skating. You're doing tennis. You're doing sports. Right. sports. It was not happening. I'm not the Indian tennis player like everyone else is. But I think that's so important to expose your kids and yourself. When people when people say, well, I don't know what I want to do. It's because, well, you need to explore and do more things. I think everybody has some uh, essential passion, a passion or, or reason for being on this earth. And not getting exposed to that, I think, is one of the biggest missed opportunities for anybody. If you don't if, if you don't get a chance to really be aligned with your purpose. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's tragic. Like if you, if if I have friends that I'm, I, I joke with them. Um, he's like my little brother, my little brother's best friend. He's a wonderful hand surgeon, right? He lives in Columbus. But I'm always like, what a waste! You're such a great dancer. <laughs> so just to say, like, to not let your children kind of explore, and it can be all caught up with. Um, oh, you have a boy and you think dance is for girls. You know, it can be so many different reasons why. Or um, like, well, he, at the university I teach at USC, a lot of students will come to me, a lot of South Asian students or, or, or East Asian students will come to me and say, I wanted to take dance classes or dance minor, but my parents said I had to focus on school. Right? So like that you cannot, like, again, like you to your point, Rob, that it exists in a vacuum and you, there's no right. room. So, so I'm curious, to how do you, 
help navigate someone through that because I'm sure that that's not just the case with immigrants with India. It's the case with a lot of people who have very stern kind of strict parents that say, I expect you to do this. You need to go to college for four years, major in engineering or, or whatever. And if you don't, I'm going to be severely disappointed in you. How, how do you navigate telling and empowering people we can, just, we can talk about the South, the South uh, Indian, East, East Asian community because you have some experience there. Knowing the narratives that and the constructs that are passed down, how do you help them deprogram through that process? Take me through a student that came, that came up to you. That, I'm sure this has happened to you. Yeah. How do you advise them through navigating this world when they've been told by the parents this is the only way? Yeah. So that's the tough part is to try to find out the way to satisfy, and it really depends on like what their kind of cultural comfort and background is. So it depends what I'm dealing with. If I'm dealing with a high school student who's quietly telling me, don't tell my parents this, I really right. want to, I don't know what to do. And I have to be quiet about it. I have to major in computer science, but what do you suggest I do? Then I have to be like, well, we have to, you've been treated delicately, but you're an adult. So even just empowering them as far as like, you're an adult, like I get it. But when mom and dad hold the purse strings and you have been, let's say disallowed, this, I'm talking for like, let's talk about like a very privileged perspective. Let me talk yeah. about person first who wasn't allowed to have a job. Everything had to do with mom and dad paying the bills. Right. There was never really the threat of we'll disown you, but it was implied. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So we'll take away your money, that duty, right. And the duty and the expectation that's so ingrained in all of us is there. Um, you better do better. I moved us here. I made all these sacrifices. I left my entire family behind my support system. And now you better do well, make me proud, pay me back. So there's a lot of love there. So that's the thing to grapple with. I'm like, well, you, you know, you want to have respect, but you have to find your path. You have to have some self-respect. You should go out there and prove not, asking permission right but what is the what's the saying rob like don't ask permission but uh, ask for forgiveness forgiveness right yes, like ask forgiveness ask never 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 for permission yes right. don't and i really i tell almost all of the young people who ask me this that same thing so in a disruptive sort of way but also it depends how delicate it is with with whether a person of privilege or let's go to the other side a student or um or young person but, that, but before you go there uh, we can start on the privilege point of view this is my view is, is is the view of people that uh, I can view it from a from a from a person who went to law school and uh, w worked for a corporate firm for a while. I mean, I hated every minute of it, every second. And I, I wasn't going to law school for that. But I told myself, well, look, I looked at the salary, said this is good. But it's like it's like the golden handcuffs. It's you feel like you're you're doing something that you're supposed to do. But if you're if you're miserable in your experience, you're going to be miserable and you're going to kind of have some uh, animosity towards your parents. I mean, it may not be it may not be like you won't hate them or anything, but there will be this bent up animosity. And so uh, free yourself. I tell people free themselves from that, because at the end of the day, if you make a bunch of money and you hate your existence, what is the point? Right. What's the purpose? <laughs> and <laughs> on top of it, I also always say I totally believe that I also also. I also, also, <laughs> I also say, um, for me, it's about leaving your mark, not in a Shakespearean way. Like I want to have a canon of poetry and you revere me and know my name, but leaving your mark and your, uh, and whether, and for me as an artist, it's about 
whatever I can be something that I'm going through to make something beautiful, to make something ugly that I'm going through to really like find catharsis and process in there and then make an individual stamp on each single person I meet, whether it's, it's here with you and me, um, whether it's on the phone with somebody, whether it's with a student through an entire semester, like leaving these indelible marks on each other is what our entire existence is about. Like giving that's giving a gift, right. Is because you have something to give and every single one of us, has something out there to give, right? There, everyone has their own unique ex- experiences or unique perspectives, and also the way to find um, that solace in finding out that other people that you're not alone, right? Yeah. These ways of thinking. So while there's that your unique snowflake thumbprint self, there's also this wonderful humanity in togetherness, right? Yeah, and that's why even sharing. Art, I also even whether whoever I'm talking to, but especially for younger people, right? Um, I'm saying talk to your parents, take them in performance, and and talk about the experience of the entire audience together of all different walks of life, inhaling <gasps> at the same time, wow, at the same time, having right. those moments together, or even in a dance class or whatever it is, everyone reacting in the same way and receiving from whatever the artist is given, and that can be on a museum wall too, right? Right. How important and beautiful just that those stamps are right whether they're through movement or the written word or through song so um, yeah. so what's interesting we, we we've talked about how you are helping people understand the full context of what it means to to be in dance to be an american dance that is not this limited view that folks have but this can be a challenge i'm curious to hear a story where you've had a challenge on this. I, 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 I recall, I recall when folks got all upset about uh, the little mermaid and all of a sudden they made the little mermaid black. And like, there were all these trolls that came out so much so that Disney, it wasn't like there was a few crazy people. It was a lot of people that responded like, how can you do this? Oh my God. Uh, she's, she's not black. She's white. I said, first of all, hold up. It's art. It's made up. It's a fantasy. <laughs> This is not, <laughs> but people have in this mind what art is. That's just one example, right? They had Ariel as being only a, a, a white woman. She couldn't possibly be, ever be a woman of color or black. Like, oh my God, the world's going to end. Like, calm down. But anyway, I can imagine, <laughs> I can imagine that you probably go through something like this. Up in arms that it's a live action Little Mermaid. Hello. Like, this is <laughs> Wouldn't it be if you're really reverent about the art and the origins? Wouldn't it go all the way back to the written word of that story? So, I don't, so for me, yeah. But of course, it's not about that. It's about an identity people have in their mind, and this is they have and people have an identity of what classical dance and what dance is supposed to be in America. So, how do you go about tackling that when people might have an image built up that is obviously based on their limited perspective? Yeah, I, I mean, I love, I love to just constantly call myself a troublemaker or rabble rouser or disruptor. So that's why I gravitate towards you, Rob. Um, but really my company's mission and my whole mission just as a human in life has been to, to change perception, right. To not let the status quo be, be, um, accepted and to challenge that. So even the company to, to have a, a shift, to help create a shift, um, especially about dance, but like, what do you first imagine when you hear American dance? Right. Right. What's American dance. Oh, and you're like, okay, 
it's a white dance company that's performing modern dance on stage, right? Or it's about maybe it's it's ABT, it's New York City Ballet, right? Right. Um, and rarely there might be like a handful of people who think of Alvin Ailey, right? Or in the dance, if I'm talking about the dance field, then okay, then that might be a little bit a little bit more diverse perspective or thinking just because of the people that are in this in that sector, right? Right. But in general, if you ask every every man, every woman, what is American dance? That's you're, they're going to equate it with whiteness and Americanness with whiteness, right? So yes. to, just like this Ariel Little Mermaid, just like um, Kamala Harris, just like anyone. Do, do that- you remember? Do you remember when there was this big stink? Um, when uh, what is that? What is that song? That the country song that the black guy made? Um, oh yeah, Old Town Road. Old Town Road. Oh yeah. They were and so literally, the, uh, the 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 music genre, which I forgot what they call them. They didn't call it country. Because they said it wasn't. How is this not country? It's not country because it it doesn't fit in what? Because why? It's a, it's very much a country song, but it had it kind of reminds me of what Blue Thirteen does. It just infused some different aspects. And by the way, note country music has a lot of roots in blackness. They just and theft just, of <laughs> right exactly. They just don't talk about it anymore. But it, it but it's there. And people, I mean, people got really upset. People got upset with Wrangler jeans and said they want to stop wearing them. I mean, so much so that people had that Wrangler jeans had to respond to, well, we represent everybody, you know, not just a certain sex. So I guess when you go about changing your mind, you can use, I understand your purpose. We agree. How do you, how do you tackle that in a place where people aren't sometimes in their brain yet where they can see that this is not different. They're not receptive, but you still have to go and approach that CEO or that person to make them understand why this is something that is American. Yeah. That makes sense. My question makes yeah, sense. Totally makes sense. I mean, and I could probably talk and we teach courses about this too, yeah. about just the theft of black art for um, acceptable, palatable white consumption. And then how that's the root, that's literally the root of pop culture. And it's it a is. root of so many, so many, so many different dance forms, right. In the United States. So when, we're not thinking of Americanness because we've taken something that's been co-opted, right? And then made palatable for white audiences, come to fame, become a commodity and um, become elite, right? And this is even for European ballet, right? Ballet up here as the height of all things, hip hop, cultural forms, everything else like this. So even when people talk about it in their body languages, like when I go to dance conferences, and these are people who are, are BIPOC artists, right? Right. Might say, Oh, you know, like it's not ballet, but it's this talking about their own work. So then I have to say, hey, especially at these conferences, if we have a forum to kind of interrogate, yeah. these, hey, let's stop doing that. Let's not make our body language as dancers even denigrate our own forms, right? What, like, what's the investigation behind it? Why is this American? Um, how, what does it mean to be American, an American dance maker or art maker, right? Um, and, why and why are you defensive? And I could be talking literally, Rob, to people where it's dangerous for me, right? right? To to an agent, to a presenter, right? Like I could be talking to, um, I don't know, some giant hall in New York City that wants to book dance companies. But I, if I have the gall at a conference to say, why are you defensive when I'm telling you that on your season for the past four years you've had two black companies and that's it, and you've ignored entire entirely all indigenous people, any other forms of dance of people of color, why is that then you get defensive? And this is something that I come across yeah. all the way through 2020, 
Right. Uh, that's all, uh, even in the midst of everything going on in 2020, people still don't necessarily see it. And to me, it's never been clear. Like uh, the, the the electoral politics, everything else, people are, and I have people say like, well, you know, I love the line that I'm not racist. And then the butt follows. <laughs> like, but, right. And then, you know, people are so defensive about it. But my, uh, my response to people is that, I think everybody's biased, racist, whatever you want to call it. And unless you're willing to acknowledge it, you're going to be more so. And the question is, what are you willing to do to challenge your bias and check it? And people don't want to do that. And and they rather just say, like you said, I hired two black companies or I hired two people and that's it. Like, okay, check the box. Right. And we if we ever want to be we want to get if we ever want to get real equity, we have to go past check the box. Mm-hmm. Well, because there has to be this, it's this idea of the defensiveness comes, I think, out of um, out of a, a loss of comfort, right? Yep. Loss of that status quo comfort where I don't, I don't have to think about it, that full privilege, right? I didn't have to now with the murder of George Floyd and every, and the uprising and everything afterwards, it's being put more in people's faces and they have to have the space through COVID. I'm sure you've talked about this nonstop. Yeah. The, during COVID that they have to consume it. At the same time, that gives a lot of room um, for the trolls to come out too, right? Yeah, it does. When there's somebody in charge of the country who is who, a- Who is a troll. Yeah, who's a troll. <laughs> He's a troll. I can just say that. He's- Troll in chief. Not for long, not for long, but- Oh my God, yay. Um, yeah, but yeah, so it, it leaves room for that too, but I just- um, I always say that like that defensiveness is also the fear of lo- fear of losing something, right? And regardless of where you are, how much money you're making as a family or person, the fear of um, listening, right, is there. The fear of loss of status um, and ability to sort of tell people what to do and be like the white straight man that's in charge of the room is. Yeah. Because look, you 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 mentioned a few things that I think are important and are worth diving into. People have a false belief, a narrative that's been built up, and it's hard for people to let it go. Right when you've been, I forgot what the saying is. Like if it, I forgot what the premise of this uh, this law is, but the more someone tries to, the more you try to go after someone's identity, even if the identity is based in nothingness, the harder, the more they will resist you, and so. We know that there is an identity built up in white superiority, whether they say it or not. It is. It's built up there. Right. It's there. And people want to and people don't want to say it. But, you know, clearly when people get mad about Ariel and Little Mermaid and or they get upset when you try to talk about art, hip hop is hip hop is very much art. It is very much art. It's art that you may not understand. But how is it not art? It is very it is. Right. And so and I think when you get people to understand I say for people to grow, you have to be, they have to, they have to embrace being uncomfortable. You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And that is why it's so hard to see growth. And people have been, they've had these false narratives brought up about like, you look at the, you look at this whole thing after the George Floyd uh, movement, a lot of things happened. Uh, one was, you know, whether this was the best response or not, it's still, uh, I, I agree with taking down these statues that are based upon the Confederacy. And you have people say, well, you're tearing down our culture. No, <laughs> no. I said the Confederacy are against America. <laughs> and people don't like and, and somehow they made it. They made this image that they are for America. So it's been very difficult because people have some people have an image 
and they don't even understand the image that, 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 that is built around racism. And so it's been very difficult to have this conversation because there's so many layers to it. Uh, and sometimes it's exhausting. And sometimes I don't even want to have the conversation anymore because I'm like, well, I don't want to exhaust myself. But how, how do you I guess like I'm, I'm having my own counseling session with you. How do you go about <laughs> how do you go about not being exhausted by the conversation and still keeping positive while not being discouraged? Because sometimes that is hard. I will tell you for me. It can be. Yeah. Exhausting. And um, and hit, feel like you're hitting your head against the wall for no yes. reason. And you have to sometimes pull back and you can't say certain things because then they won't get it. But it's then you have to just you have to just figure out how to have the patience. And you're not the one that actually has the misunderstanding. It's the person you're talking to. <laughs> yeah. So there's that thing that oh, so much good stuff that you said, Rob, like especially about the part of um, identity. And like if you're attacking it, they feel like their identity is being ita- attacked. Um, but it's like a con- I, I feel a constant defense. Um, and I just, I could try to continue to move forward through it as delicately or indelicately as the situation calls for. Right. Right. Even like we're talking about like those kids who ask for advice, it depends what their, their home life is like Right, right. on there of the way I'm going to respond. Same kind of thing here. Right. Like if it's an in-law or a family member, this is a relationship that I have to preserve as a family member. How, and but it's important for me to interrogate things like, why did you vote for Trump? Why do you think that 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 doesn't make you a racist or any of these things? Right. Um, I'm not saying my family. I'm just saying these conversations that come up constantly about which with people the way they're voting, especially right now, right? Yes. So many like dancers, friends, students, whoever are talking about like, okay, my aunt, my father-in-law, my this, my that, voted for Trump. Like, I don't even know how to look at this person. Yeah. Right? Like, so then it's about, well, is it worth it to you? And then, yes, it's worth it to me. Can you live without this person? Okay, no. Okay, so then it's worth, like, what's my my way in? So if this is a staunch Republican that's screaming about, I've always voted Republican, then what's your way in? Is that important? Or or, or a Roe v. Wade argument, you know? So really... I said being armed with facts and information well, and not being able to get gaslit on the right. Way, right. I completely agree. And I think, and let me know if I'm not, not saying this right, but I think what you have to, what you're saying is that as you engage people to try to change their perspective is to understand their perspective first and, and frame it in a way that they can understand it to make them understand that they are not living up to their own perspective. Yes. Perfect, right. Perfectly said. Right. And, also, and it might sound a little um, condescending, but you kind of have to spoon feed depending well, on people the- can only take steps. It's, it's not it's not condescending. It's the mind cannot work all at once. You're not going to convert someone that has this belief overnight. They have it for a reason. Uh, they're around people usually that are reinforcing their own belief in and God, if you're on social media, now you can just have it reinforced all day, every day. and You believe it's real. Because you're surrounding yourself with those same like-minded people. Right, right. And you get all of a sudden, you get multiple sources of content. This must be the truth. <laughs> and and right. it's a lie. <laughs> and then you're being so deeply gaslit by saying when real factual evidentiary news is presented, you're told this is fake news. Right. But that's the beauty of art. I will say what you're saying. The beauty of art is that art has always been used in a way it's always allowed people to, to, to say and take more controversial stances in a way that people can 
relate. Like, you know, Dave Chappelle said he doesn't say anything serious without a punchline, but everything he's saying has a social context. Richard Pryor before him. You look at uh, you look at uh, you look at you look at Stevie Wonder. A lot of his pieces, if you listen to them, they're all about social movements and they all have they all have some message beyond just making you feel good, making you dance. Bob Marley, same thing. There's a lot of deep material and art. Art can transform perspectives and content in a way that other venues can't. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And you can, and you, and that, that's the draw in, right? Some beautiful or ugly piece of art or dance, right? That brings the audience in. And then you're asked about it later. Well, what did this, especially when it's like a little bit more abstract, right? Right. Mean. Or even if it's not abstract, let's say I'm doing like a full 20 person Bollywood dance number on stage. And then the question might come out oh, that was so great. That was so great. Um, I'm, it's, I'm interested to know why you have. Um, not that many Indian people in your company. Why are most of the people in your company black? And this is like questions that come up afterwards, right? You know, so it that it just gets people interrogating in a different way to ask the question to talk to the artist or the dance maker about their process and where they are and what it means. So that then you're unveiling just deeper, deeper levels. Um, the other part that that you're fighting up against, besides the people reinforcing like through social media, like you're talking about. If I circle back to that point is you're dealing with people who through generations and people, these are people that they love and respect that have taught them these things. So when when it's perceived as an attack on so-and-so, it's an attack on my mother and my father. So all they can think about is me, 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 so defensive, you're taking something from me. And this is natural, that's how people think, people are that way. Right, so again, you know, like if I've made trouble at a dance conference to to fight with some white people about <laughs> how they never have anyone on uh on their stages or with agents that only that are like we've satisfied our indianness because we have classical indian dance and i'm like well i'm indian <laughs> <laughs> my work pulls from classical indian dance but i'm am i less indian or relevant to you as the agent the gatekeeper right because right. i don't fit into your box and according yeah, to what uh Indian artist is supposed to be right. or Americanness so or Americanness. Exactly. Well, Cause I think that's very important because at the end of the day, uh, you're an American. You right. happen to be of Indian descent. Like we're, yeah. that's the whole point of America. At least I thought. Yeah. That's what I thought. <laughs> that's what I constantly have to fight for in the art making. Right. right. Um, in a good way. Like that's where my, I, you know, I, people, I fight. enjoy a good fight too. A good righteous fight. Nothing, nothing, nothing better. <laughs> And that's like who I, that's just like part of my identity. That's like where I feel comfortable. Right. Right. I think I've talked about this ad nauseum. Probably people are sick of me talking about the tightrope metaphor. Yeah. That's where I, that's where my identity is and the identity of so many um, children of immigrants, but anyone that has, that's an artist that has to deal with these kind of constructs and binaries, right. That you, are constantly dipping your toe on both sides, trying to satisfy both, trying to get the grant money for this, trying to get get the gig here, trying to show your work, and you're on the tightrope. So your identity becomes those eggshells, right? Like, yeah. That's just who you are, Is are, are these kind of two warring opposites. But then there's some kind of comfort in there after some time. Like, it's not fun when you're 14. Yeah. <laughs> or when, you know, you just continue to kind of go through, and as you develop, I think, just as a human and an artist, um, I have a good transition into a question. Think about 
advice you would give your younger self? Since you yeah. said you were 14, what yeah. advice would you give your younger self knowing all the things you know now? And then what advice would you ignore? Yeah, I would probably say, um, I would probably say go dance for a company well, a little longer before you create your own. Interesting. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't have gone out on your own as quickly. Tell me why. Maybe not as quickly because I just, I feel like part of it was I don't see anything, anyone making anything that I want to see on stage or make or dance. A lot of it was that and the diaspora thing being completely ignored in the American dance realm. Um, but another part was fear. Straight out of college. Fuck, I made, can I swear? Sorry. You can swear. Yes, you can swear. So wait, so your advice would be go do it sooner or or no, work for a company longer? I did a little bit out of fear. I majored in dance. What do I do? You did what out of fear? Actually started your business? Yeah. Interesting. Usually people don't leave out of fear, but you yeah. started your business out of fear. Now that's new. Talk about the eggshells, the fine yeah. love. So part of it was being brazen and young and saying, I'm just going to start my own company. There's nothing out there that looks like what I want or, or represents me. And then the other part of it was, I'm too scared to audition. Oh, okay. For Ailey, for the, yeah, that like self-doubt, the insecurity of youth, of being an artist as a woman. Oh, so you would have wanted to dance, in other words, definitely. I get I it. So. And I did. And I ha I've had a wonderful career. And I've danced a ton. I don't perform anymore. But like, I've had a wonderful career. But I might have been like, hey, go, go be fearless and see what it's like, or go get some rejections. Or like, go, you know, and also just to see the inner workings of the company, because for me, it was a lot of fake it till you make it in the beginning. Oh, that's, yeah, what it, every, that's what everybody's is. Yeah. It just is. Yeah, it is. It is. But I felt like if I had kind of seen some of the inner workings, I might have helped. Yeah. No, I may agree because it's intimidating. You don't know how to price stuff. You don't know how to do yeah, any of that totally. stuff. You're just really, you're making, that's the part, that's the hard part to fake it till you make it because then you're like, oh, well, I'm not making any profit. We got to do something different here. <laughs> like I would price it way too high or I would do, yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> no, I mean, I get it. It's the, it's the struggle of every, every new entrepreneur at some point. And it's the, there is a tight rope here because you never really, you're never going to have all the information you need. You just need enough information. Like you need to, you need probably about 50% of the information. Once you got that, there's never going to be more than that. So you just got to kind of go and move forward and step out on some faith. So yeah. look, I mean, you've had a great career, like you said, so that's actually good advice to yourself. All right. A couple of uh, wrap up questions here. So what's an important truth you have might be controversial that few people might agree with you on. Oh, a controversial truth. Let's see. Um, Probably that um, respect isn't automatic <laughs> from our elders and our gatekeepers, that, that that's where we get into the danger and that we have to continue to uh, interrogate that, and that because that causes a lot of self, that can get in my way, right? Got it. If I just accept everything that I'm told by my elders as a good girl, then I'm never going to make it. I would never be anything if I yeah. did. So... That's no, that's, that, 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 I think that's important because we're told to accept and we default to the, we default to the truth that's been given to us. <clears throat> and often we assume because they've been around or they've been successful. That doesn't mean it's a, the best path for us. And we don't know always how they became successful too. And it might not apply to our situation. And usually it doesn't. I, I've said this many times on my show. When I look at other people, their, their process is their process. My process is my process. Like a, I can't compare myself to somebody else and how they achieve because 
it's different. My, my path and process will be different. I think there are some learning lessons you can draw from uh, things that they did, their, their, their work ethic, but you can't try to replicate anybody's process. And, right. You know, and, yeah. and so, go ahead. Yeah. And whether they're people that are politicians or grandparents, like, I mean, I mean it to like that granular level of being like, well, do I need to, it's a little Nietzschean, right? No, question everything. I mean, you, you teach people and hope to teach my kids this too. Don't accept anything. Don't accept everything. Anybody says question, question everything, including me. Ah, I love what you're saying. Yes. Including the books that you're given, including like that's very dangerous territory, but no, but but it's true because if you don't, they'll have. I mean, there are, the books are filled with religious leaders, cult leaders that have led people off of cliffs, cliffs, massive horrible tragedies. I mean, people use. Well, you know this. I mean, I'm sure you do. People use religion to justify all types of atrocities, and we were supposed to be following the elders, and and we we did this because our religion told us to and your religion didn't tell you to like somebody used it as a power play this is why we have to question everything yeah <laughs> so totally and i think like the root of it is escape you know that sort of escaping the herd it's really simple don't be lazy do yeah. your fucking homework it's simple but it's not easy though it, it's very yeah. very difficult for the human brain just so i mean the human brain is wired to be working with its tribe like we are right interdependent creatures Therefore, we believe and actually our brain, I mean, the science shows that our brains literally are rewired by the people we hang around, which is why it's so important to hang around the right people, because you're going to be like, though, you're going to be like the people that you hang around no matter what. Right. And just right. Totally. And like to be and be okay with the uncertainty that happens with that. Right. Or like, okay with, okay, I'm going to, I was given this religion, but I'm going to read about Buddhism and this. Absolutely. Like arm yourself with what, you know, the enemy is thinking, (laughs) like, like arm yourself with that. If you're going to make any, any. And arm yourself with great knowledge. I mean, there is some great knowledge within all texts and you can learn something and there's no threat to me from learning from other people and, 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 and teaching. So, but you have to have, but that takes security in yourself though. That takes security and being comfortable, being uncomfortable. So it's just, a lot of people are not that. And it's people look at my friends. I mean, I probably have. I'm sure I have a very diverse set of friends, more than most. And it's because that's that's always been my experience. Uh, another question. So what if you you have three people on your committee? This is a committee that advises you on life, oh. business, whatever you want. They can be a, they can be living, they can be dead. Anybody through history, who would these people who would these three oh people be in life? <laughs> three people on my committee. Oh my goodness. Your committee for life. Oh, my life committee. Um, let's see. My brother, Jacqueline. Okay. He's a living person. He's just okay. Brilliant thinker. Um, and gives me a lot a, a lot of pushback too. So that That's good. He wounds you with the truth. Right. I'm not his boss, you know. <laughs> and he's just a brilliant mind and inventor, inventive thinker. Um, okay. And can like temper my storm a little bit. <laughs> All right. Who else you got? Two others. I have. Let's go with Siddharth. Let's go. Okay. With yeah, the Buddha, um, for obvious reasons, I think. Well, tell your reasons because people may not know. Well, I think just to travel down um, that we're t- talking so much about tightropes, but travel down this path of um, 
not uh, of not equating materialism and material wealth with happiness and self-fulfillment and um, enlightenment. Yeah. And to really uh, look inwards and just and be live a simple, kind life. Right. To just exert human kindness on a on a daily level. Um, oh, OK. Yeah. Hmm. Why is Who's your third? I need a woman. <laughs> my third. Who's my third going to be? My God. Put me on the spot, Rob. Sorry. Uh, let's see. One is a dancer. We can come back to it. We can come back to it. So because well, I only get three. I'm like, do I get ten? You get three. You get three. But you can come. You could yeah. if you want to think about it later. You come back to that, or we we'll stop it too. Let's let's get, let's get the final question in. So, you have a um, billboard, a Google ad that summarizes your saying, your theme for life. What does that say? And what's say? Oh my God, uh, my billboard for life. Yes. Uh, give me face or give me death. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I say to my students when we're dancing. <laughs> what do you say? I say, give me face. Like, oh, what? Uh, all right. Your expression, your inner, your who you are. Um, oh, that could be good. That's good. But I think it's more this. It's um, the only way out is through. Okay. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a. That's why I put it. I, that's why I tattooed it on my. Well, body. yeah, yeah. Well, good. So you you actually have the, you have your saying tattooed on you. That makes it rather easy. Okay. Go for it. Yeah, just fight through it. Get fight through it and get and get there. You know. Yeah. Why does that saying mean so much to you? Is that was there something in your life that that points to that really that that inspires yeah. that, or is just generally yeah. not just life and career? Definitely everything that we talked about, um, and just not being afraid of the fight, but just any adversity, tragedy, loss of loved ones. You know, you have to get through it. Um, not is there any moment in particular that really, that that stands out where that really kind of. Yeah. I think this is, this is a heavy one of just the loss of my sister. Yeah. When did you lose your sister? In 2003. Yeah. I lost my sister this year. You did Rob. Yeah. yeah. Lo lo lost my sister at the beginning of this year. Yep. I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm sending you lots of love, but that well, thank is you. Especially when early that's advice that I tell anyone. And I feel like part of my, stamp on this earth is to to help people to be the example of going through loss like that in such right. a profound way and to be able to help and be an example to have the solace that you and i have gone through this i'm still standing i'm flourishing and i can use her her incredible um life that you know i was touched with for so many years yeah. It was short and it was unfair and everything. It was a horrible thing to go through, but I can, I, I think of her every day. You know, I, she's so, she, I'm so lucky to have had her. Um, and this is, you know, it, this is something that when I can, I can compare myself then to somebody who's had far more tragedy, right? Right. To, and, you know, and um, it all just depends on your perspective. But for me, barreling through those first few years that were really the hardest, um, I don't, you know, I would not at the time you weren't thinking it, but now having gone through it for, you know, for so many years and being able to realize and to tell other people that are going through loss or feeling really hopeless yeah, that you, that you're not alone and don't let, you know, don't, um, like try to compartmentalize it, try to take, try to take a deep breath and pull the strands apart because it can feel like an avalanche, 
but um, that you can get through it. And if I can get through it, you know, of losing my best friend in the world, um, then, and, and I can still, I can dance about it and talk about it and, and, and make these kind of connections with other people like you, um, which again, I, I always say that too. I'm like, what a terrible thing to have in common, but also what, um, solace we can give each other. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, you know, I mean, my beliefs is I believe, you know, she's with us still, but just a change of venue. And our goal and mission to life is to live and 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 serve. Really, really, we 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 serve our the ones that have transitioned by living and taking their legacy and telling about their legacy through our work and through what we do in life. And this is what you're doing. So, you know, congratulations for that. And uh, uh, and Chita, it's been an honor to have you on. And Chinta, it's been it's been an honor to have you on. Thanks, Rob. It's been wonderful talking to you. I could do this for days. Yeah. Good to have you on with the Blue Dan- Blue 13 Dance Company. We'll have more in the bio, and it's, uh, it's been great to have you on. Thanks, Rob. Thank you.